Chapter 19 The Nightmare In her dreams that night, Nick sat on the roof of her trailer, gazing at a sky full of supernovas. Across the river, behind a line of trees, a reddish glow appeared. Nick stood next to a burning house. The flames curled under the roof and belched black clouds into the sky. Inside the house, she heard a man screaming. Tuesday morning, in U.S. government, Jordan was back in the second row, and Ms. Winkle seemed much more on her game. She taught an entire lesson without resorting to the cheap helps at the back of the chapter. To the surprise of the class, she didn't seem at all bitter about the previous day's prank. In fact, she cheerfully allowed Jordan to pass out the size 9 stalker surveys. Maybe she really did feel bad about giving the boys the rope to hang themselves. She even filled out a survey herself, though there was no way that hair would have fit under a pillowcase, but it didn't hurt to be thorough. Nix glanced around to gauge the students' reactions. Was it really possible that a high school student had broken into the Hainsworth mansion and killed the dog? Loaf was probably the only one big enough to pass as an adult, but Nix doubted he was as light on his feet as Pillowhead had been, and she certainly couldn't see him taking a flying leap from the roof. That's when she noticed Loaf's expression. Although he wore the customary scowl, his eyes followed Jordan with burning hatred. Suddenly, the whole kicking Jordan in the face thing seemed entirely plausible. After class, Nix described Loaf's reaction to Tiago and Jordan. They both agreed it seemed fishy, but before they could discuss it further, Fawn showed up to whisk Tiago away to his next class. Nix barely had time to give him a handful of surveys to pass out before he was dragged out the door. It was clear Fawn was trying to educate his taste in friends and save what remained of his reputation. As much as Nix hated to admit it, the evil brunette was right. Tiago could only hurt his popularity by hanging out with them. Couldn't he see that? Or maybe he didn't care? Whatever the case, Tiago hadn't abandoned them yet, and that had to be driving Fawn crazy. These are worthless, Jordan said after they had isolated themselves behind the East Building. At least half the kids have size 9 shoes, and nearly all of them have secret crushes. I didn't realize our school was such a lust pool. Lust pool? It's like cesspool, only with more hormones. It's Tiago's fault. I'm sure half those crushes are on him. Nick thumbed through her stack of surveys. Look for loafs. We've only got a couple of minutes. Oh, here it is. Oh, wow. Jordan handed Nix the square paper. You're not as funny as you thick. Make fun of me again, and I will hurt you. If you tell anyone, you'll wish you didn't. Don't tell anyone what? Nix asked. And when did you make fun of him? Is he talking about the nickname? The first growl sounded. Jordan shrugged. Maybe this was meant for you. He could be worried about his homicidal graveyard-pushing secret getting out. No, he was staring at you like you slapped his grandma. Jordan squinted at the piece of paper. Maybe Lo thinks I'm going to make fun of him for spelling think with a C? They trudged toward the West Building for Jim. Too bad he didn't answer the shoe size question, though, Nick said. Jordan picked at his braces. We should keep an eye on him, see if he gets all lovey-dovey when Sarah's around. Loaf, lovey-dovey? That would be like McGuckin playing hopscotch. At lunch, Tiago handed Nix an enormous stack of completed surveys. She made a mental note to put him in charge of more assignments. Apparently, the rest of the school had the same trouble saying no to Tiago as she did. Between bites of pizza, Jordan showed Tiago the threat note from the beater. Nix nibbled at her slice and tried not to grin. The whole school could see her eating lunch with Tiago Padilla. So, Tiago said in a low, excruciatingly beautiful voice, are you not seriously going to watch her house when she's alone? Nick slid her hands under the table to hide her shaking. 
Actually, I thought of a way around that, but Jordan doesn't like the idea. It's a great idea, Jordan said. I just don't want to be in a musical. I can't even sing. Tiago smirked. Musical theater. Nix forced herself to stare directly into Tiago's brown eyes. If we could get Sarah to be in the school production, she won't have to be alone after school. When does it start? Tiago asked. Jordan stole a tater tot off Nix's plate, but she maintained focus. Rehearsals begin next week and go for the rest of the semester. That will give us four months to catch the sky. Tiago looked doubtful. You really sure all of this is necessary? I'd rather see Sarah get a little unneeded protection than the alternative, wouldn't you? Nix lowered her eyes and mechanically took a bite of pizza. She'd spoke more curtly than she'd meant to. So what happens if Sarah doesn't want to do the play thingy? Jordan mumbled through a mouthful of stolen potatoes. Nix glanced sideways at Tiago. I had an idea about that too. Tiago required much less convincing than Nix expected, and they spent the rest of lunch period fine-tuning his plan to charm Sarah into auditioning with him. The hardest part would be getting Sarah alone without Fawn showing up, but Tiago didn't seem worried. Something told Nix he was very good at getting his way. All through history and algebra, Nix thought about what song she could sing for auditions. She had at least a hundred memorized, but she didn't have the piano music for any of them. And who could she get to accompany her? She certainly didn't want to sing a cappella in front of the entire auditorium. Do you think the library has karaoke CDs? Nix asked Jordan when they reached their seventh period class. Jordan? But Jordan had frozen in the doorway of the chemistry lab. What? But then Nix saw it too. Either Mr. Urbanek had gotten larger and distractedly more evil-looking, or the vice principal was taking over chemistry today. Nix pushed Jordan through as the final growl sounded. You're late, McGuckin said. He stood at the front of the classroom, his tarantula fingers clutching the back of the chair his bloodshot eyes ready to pop out of his face. That's after-school detention for both of you. Jordan's face twisted in exaggerated confusion. We were totally in the room before the growl. You're not in your seat, McGuckin said with a glint in his eye. He was daring Jordan to answer back. Nix prayed he'd just sit down. They walked to the back of the classroom. Nix was starting to relax when Jordan said, Don't see you sitting down. The entire class stopped breathing. Nick stared at Jordan. Had he gotten a lobotomy over the summer? Everyone knew you didn't provoke McGuckin unless you wanted your lungs ripped out through your nose. The vice principal was at Jordan's side before the boy had time to drop his bag. Nix was amazed the man could move so fast without hitting his ape arms on anything. Lunch detention for a week, McGuckin said, his bald head a lovely shade of purple. One more word and it will be a month. Mercifully, Jordan sat without speaking. McGuckin strode back to the front of the room, and Jordan made a big show of wiping off his face. With the exception of Loaf and Danny, most of the class seemed to sympathize with Jordan. Every student in the room knew what the warm spittle felt like on their cheek. McGuckin sat down theatrically. And I'll be calling Policeman Frost this afternoon, to let him know how his reprobate son speaks to his teachers. Jordan opened his mouth, but Nix shot him a warning glare. They had too much to accomplish for Jordan to spend the rest of his life in detention. I want the exercises at the end of chapter two finished by the end of class, McGuckin said, amid silent groans. If necessary, you'll stay after school to complete it. Three pages, Nix whispered to Jordan after she'd examined the assignment. Although the class seemed ready to revolt, most of the students were wise enough to get out their books and begin working. After ten minutes, Nix glanced at Jordan's paper. He'd started the first question, but the rest of his page was full of doodles. Nix resisted the urge to say something. After all, they were spending the afternoon with McGuckin whether they finished or not. 
With 20 minutes left and assignments only partially finished, many students began to cope with the reality that they'd be joining the after-school chemistry party. The only sound in the room was the muffled sobbing of a girl named Awatif, who wasn't handling the pressure very well. Where's Mr. Urbanek? Another desperate voice called from the corner of the room. McGuckin looked up and stared at the quavering boy as if deciding whether to answer his question or expel him. The rest of the class had stopped writing and waited anxiously for the response. Your teacher had a little trouble last night and will need a few days to get his affairs in order. Some will have a sob, Danny asked, encouraged by McGuckin's civil response. Mr. Fry, he said in a dangerously soft voice, why would you need a substitute teacher when you've got a whole book full of exercises? Danny was a little slow on the uptake. Yeah, but we've only done up to chapter two. We can't do stuff we haven't learned. You'll do whatever stuff I tell you, McGuckin said, sending a stream of spit across his desk. And if you have any questions, open your book and read! He shouted the last word so loudly the entire class nearly fell out of their seats. Awatif actually screamed. McGuckin seemed pleased with himself, so much that he pretended not to notice Jordan's cackling. Did you see her face? Jordan said. Nix wasn't listening. The sound of Awatif's scream had triggered something in her subconscious, a whisper of a thought, like she'd suddenly become aware of a vault hidden in her mind. She'd heard someone scream recently, but how could that be? Had it been a dream? Yes, she remembered waking up with Toad there, after the nightmare. Her arms prickled and a chill washed over her. What had she dreamt last night? Someone was in trouble or trapped. They couldn't get out of the building, or... The dream came flooding back in vivid detail. The sky darkened by smoke, the house engulfed in flames, the cry for help. Nixie? Jordan was tapping her with his foot. What? Something wrong? Jordan whispered. Nix glanced to make sure McGuckin wasn't looking. I remembered a weird dream I had, she said in a low voice. You looked like you were gonna cry. What was it? Someone trapped in a burning house, Nick said without moving her lips. McGuckin had just glanced in their direction. She and Jordan buried their noses in their books. Who is trapped in a burning house? A boy beside Nix whispered a little too loudly. You, in the yellow shirt, McGuckin said. What is your name? The boy next to Nix turned pink. Walter Snodgrass, sir, he said after glancing down at his shirt. What is so important that you have to whisper to your classmates and interrupt their studies? Walter looked from side to side and then back down at his shirt. Nothing, sir, he finally mumbled. He picked up his pencil in an effort to end the humiliation. I want an answer, Snodgrass, and it had better be good, or you'll be joining us after school. McGuckin's bulging eyes focused on the poor boy's forehead, drilling a hole into his brain, breaking down resistance, wrenching out independent thought until he was left a simpering subservient imbecile. She... she said something about someone getting trapped in a burning house, Walter squeaked on the verge of tears. I just asked who it was. McGuckin's countenance changed immediately. Nix couldn't tell if he was relieved or angry, or if he'd suffered an aneurysm. The teacher's mouth went slack, and a bead of saliva dripped from one of his gray, protruding teeth. He sat there for a moment, as if thinking. Most of the class seemed poised for Mount Kilimanjaro to erupt, but Nix saw something else in McGuckin's surprised face— a gleam of wicked triumph. Who told you someone was trapped in a fire? He finally asked, too focused to notice the dribble hanging from his chin. Nix cringed as the boy in the yellow shirt pointed a scrawny finger at the side of her head. McGuckin's bloodshot eyes fixed on Nix and he smacked his soggy lips thoughtfully. Then he stood up, 
glided to the door and opened it with such violence that Nix half expected it to fall off the hinges. Out, he snarled. Walter stood. Not you, McGuckin said. Whack. Nix looked briefly at Jordan, who shrugged. Everyone stared. The fat girl had always been so well-behaved. Nix gathered her things. The ruffling papers echoed in the absolute silence of the classroom. Now! McGuckin screamed. Nix abandoned her belongings and practically jogged out of the classroom. The door shut. McGuckin brushed past her. Keep up. For a fleeting moment, Nix considered dashing for the exit, but the waves of dread washing over her prevented her from doing anything requiring the slightest bit of courage. She followed the vice principal down the empty hallway, all the while trying not to think about what would happen when they got wherever they were going. Why couldn't she have taken her own advice and kept her mouth shut? She knew better than to provoke McGuckin. But what about that Walter kid? Why wasn't he in trouble, too? Once they were inside McGuckin's office, he pressed his back against the door. Who told you? Nix's mind went blank. Told me what? She was practically sitting on McGuckin's desk in her effort to get as far away from him as possible. If you don't tell me who was at the house last night, I'll be forced to conclude that you are the one responsible, he said, as if that was supposed to clear everything up. Sir, I don't know. Besides myself, McGuckin said, in his usual, I'd like to punch you in the face voice. Mr. Urbanek and the Midland Township Police Department. The only other person who knows about it is the one who started the fire. Nick struggled to piece together his cryptic accusations. There was a fire? McGuckin clamped his hot fingers around her wrist. With his other hand, he picked up the phone. Nix prided his fingers, but he only tightened his grip. Pain shot up her arm. Send an officer to cross high, he said into the phone. I think I found the Midland arsonist.